these guys. Well, um, I said earlier, I'm Paula, and I get to help lead women's ministry here at the chapel, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you ladies tonight. I know it's super busy time of the year, and there are a lot of activities going on, and a lot of family parties and kid things going on, so thank you for making the time to be here. We just want to take a few minutes to strip it all back and remember what really matters this time of the year. Two things really matter according to God's word and according to Jesus himself, that we love God and we love his people. And we can love God most during Christmas season by remembering the birth of Jesus Christ, that this humble baby came and was born in a barn. I'm enamored by that as I'm going back through the book of Luke and the the gospel stories of Jesus. And we can honor God and Jesus by reflecting God and Jesus by how we love other people. And there's no better person in the history of this world that loved people than Jesus Christ himself. He saw people through his own eyes, and we can do that as well. Mary's going to camp out on a few people that Jesus sat at the table with a little bit later on in this evening. And she's going to talk a little bit about, as we reflect on who was at the table of Jesus, who did he sit with? And I'm constantly intrigued when I look at the table of Jesus. You would think that he comes to the world as a king of kings and he sits with all these affluent, popular, included people. And that's not at all who he sits with. Around his table are the tax collectors, the people who are disabled, they're hurting, they're broken, they're sinful. All while the Pharisees, the religious people, stood off to the side and looked on them at those tables and judged Jesus for sitting with them. How could the king of kings humble himself to sit with those people? And yet that's who Jesus Christ himself extended the invite to. I get to focus specifically on a table in the Old Testament Um, of King David, and it's the story of King David and Mephibosheth. Try to say that three times straight. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Try to say that as you're trying to practice this. (laughs) Um, King David and Mephibosheth is my all-time favorite Old Testament story, and so I get to share that with you, and it's got a great challenge for us and who we invite into our table around this holiday season and beyond. So you have King David, and we just need to roll it back a few years, to when King David was not King David. He was just David. And you remember David, maybe kids' stories. He killed Goliath. I can think of these songs that my kids sing in their head. Um, And he was an amazing man at battle. He was a great soldier. Every time he was in battle, he succeeded. And he would come back and the people would praise him. And so he wasn't yet king. He was David in battle at war in the kingdom of the Israelites. The king at the time was King Saul. King Saul loved God at first. He honored God. God's spirit was on him. And God blessed him. But then he started falling away from God, and God pulled his spirit back from him. And he was no longer a good king. So King Saul sees David succeeding, and he hates David. He's incredibly jealous of David because he's good at battle. And he's getting more praise from the people than King Saul is. So King Saul has some sons. One of King... Saul's sons, is Jonathan. Jonathan loved, loved, loves, and is best friends with David, who Saul hates. So you have Jonathan over here. His dad can't stand David, but he's one in spirit 
with David. Jonathan and David are best friends. They are brothers. They love each other. And King Saul even tries to go after David, attack him, kill him. And so many times Jonathan comes to the rescue of his best friend. So go forward in time. They're at battle. The Israelites are in battle against the Philistines. The Philistines, they're big and bad. They're going after these Israelite little people. They specifically want King Saul and King Saul's sons. They go, they get King Saul's sons. They kill them. They're down. Jonathan goes down. He dies. Then they go for King Saul. They wound him, and he knows they're going to kill him. So he talks to his arm bearer next to him and says, kill me now. I don't want them to kill me. The arm bearer says, no way. I'm not killing you. He's too terrified. So King David, says in the Bible, falls on his sword. He's gone. King David, not King David, King Saul. Sorry. King, King David is still alive. King Saul just kills himself. So King Saul is dead, and Jonathan, his son, is dead. So now if you go forward into how this plays out, this is where we're going to be introduced to Mephibosheth. So word finally comes to the household of Jonathan and King Saul. And there's this little Mephibosheth who's five years old. And in 2 Samuel, we'll read the story. There's just a quick little parenthesis talking about the introduction of Mephibosheth. And it says, Mephibosheth was five years old when they caught wind at his house that his dad, Jonathan, and Grandpa Saul had just died. So his nurse, his caretaker, picks him up and she flees the scene because she wants to protect Mephibosheth. Because the incoming kingdom or the people at battle might try to go for the rest of the family and kill him and take him out. So she swoops him up and flees the scene and she drops him. And he becomes crippled. He becomes lame in his two feet, his two legs. I'm, I'm over here thinking, we have a five-year-old little boy who just got word that his dad and his grandpa just got killed. And then his nurse tries to rescue him, drops him, and he becomes lame. Here we have Mephibosheth. Years go by. We don't hear a lot about Mephibosheth, but what we do know is that he went to a far outlandish place where outcasts would go called Lodabar. And he, he was clearly an outcast. He couldn't walk. He did go on to have a son. But he was off almost in hiding because he was not unaware of the fact that the new kingdom coming in would try to take him out too because they feared people rising up in power from the former kingdom. And so he's off in Lodabar, he's an outcast, he's unwanted, unloved, he probably feels like a failure, like he can give nothing to society. So then we come up to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I forgot my Bible, so I'm just going to read, I'm just going to tell you what I know. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, it says this, King David, he's in power, he's now king. He loves God, he's a man after God's own heart, makes some mistakes, does some good things, but overall he loves God. And he remembers his love for Jonathan and Jonathan's love for him. And he says, I want to find, I want to find out if there's anybody from the household of Jonathan still left so I can show God's kindness to whoever is left in his household. So they summon his servant. They summon a servant from the household of, um, of Jonathan. So carrying it further down. Ziba is the name of a servant in the home of Mephibosheth, out in Lodabar, a cast-off land. 
Ziba comes to David and he says, yes, there's still somebody left in the household of Jonathan and it's Mephibosheth. He's lame in both of his legs. So David says, I want Mephibosheth. Bring him in. Bring him to me. So Mephibosheth comes. He comes to the home of David and he bows before him. And David says, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth says, that's me. And he bows down almost in like undignified manner, like here I am. And, he, and King David says to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, I want you to be at my table. I want you to have a seat at my table for the rest of your days. I will restore to you the land of your father, Jonathan. I remember him. I want to show God's favor on you. And Mephibosheth says, what do you want with a dead dog like me? And as I'm thinking through this story and I'm processing it and I'm just thinking, how many of us could reflect King David in our own life? Maybe we're not truly a king, have a lot of money, we don't have a kingdom below us and we're really affluent, but we're just everyday ordinary people. And who of us can show God's kindness to other people and look to the outcasts, the people who just don't belong? And not even that, maybe it's not the people who are crippled in their legs, but they're crippled in their spirit. They're broken. They're hurting. They're grieving. I've met with some grieving people lately. Our church has experienced some extreme grief even in the last week. People who just feel stuck in their life, in their faith, in their hearts. Who of us can be the King Davids who reflect God and show God's kindness and bring them in and maybe get inconvenienced a little bit in our own life? But maybe you are sitting there and you're like, it's not even David that I resonate with. It's actually Mephibosheth. I feel like maybe it's not my legs are broken and I'm lame and I can't walk and I feel like an outcast in that way, but I just don't fit in. I just don't belong. I feel like an outcast and I'm never included in. Or maybe your child, your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson, your husband, whoever it is, you just feel like you don't belong. And my challenge to you would be, instead of staying in isolation, maybe even like Mephibosheth did, which he had reason to, and we may think we have reason to as well, maybe the challenge for us is to say, there are some women here, or maybe there's somebody that I know that I could just reach out to and say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm still grieving the loss of my son or my daughter from 10 years ago, or my husband. Can we just talk? I just had that this last week, there's a a young girl that I know going through a very unexpected situation. And it was late at night. I was putting my kids to bed, and I get a text from her. And she was weeping on the other end of the text and saying, I'm so sorry to reach out to you, but I'm in, like, the lowest place I've ever been in my life, and I just need to talk. And, of course, knowing that need, I know her, I love her, but because I knew that I was able to talk to her. And at the end of the conversation over text, she didn't say, thank you, Paula, your words of wisdom were so amazing. And I don't need that. What she said was so profound to me. She said, I am so thankful that I reached out to you because I'm weeping tears that are more centered on joy and hope for my life than at the beginning of this conversation when I was weeping so bad because I'm hurting and I see no hope. And we can be that to other people. But if you feel more like Mephibosheth, maybe the challenge for you is just extending Um, an invite to somebody that you admire or that maybe could help you to just say, put yourself out there out of isolation. 
can we just talk? Can we just spend a little bit of time together? Because I guarantee you, there are people in this room that would love to know of your need and include you in and pull up a seat at their table. But for all of us, the challenge overall, whether you're Mephibosheth or you're more like King David trying to show the kindness of God to people around you, the challenge is to reach out to people who are struggling and in need and who normally would not get the invite and invite them into your home. I love the quote I just heard from Lisa Turkhurst this past week. Lisa's been through a lot of things in her own life if you ever want to look her up, but she really resonates with the brokenhearted. And the quote said this, break bread with broken hearts. And I sat there and I thought, that's what we need to do. We need to sit across the table, break bread, eat dinner, have coffee, eat nothing. Just look at each other. Sit there, break bread with broken hearts. Because whether it's your broken heart now or yet to come, or it's the person sitting here around you who needs to be brought in and shown God's kindness through you. So I want to bring up, we're going to have a few special guests tonight, but I want, to, I want to first start off with a special guest that I have who, this subject is very uh, special to Angela West. She is um, an amazing woman who has a great story. She has a heart for including other people based on her own circumstances. And this is Angela, if you want to sit here. Angela comes to us from an amazing church, Calvary Baptist, right on Perkins Ave in Sandusky. I love that we go to different churches, but we're all one body of Christ, and we're sisters in Christ, and um, Angela has an amazing family, and she's going to tell us a little bit about that. If you want to give us a little bit of a background, uh, tell us a little bit about your family, your husband, your kids. Good evening. My name is Angela West. My husband, and David, and I grew up in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, so Sandusky is actually newer to us, even though we've been here since 2004. We're still meeting all kinds of new people that seem to all know each other, and we're still kind of like, oh, okay, you're related to her? Oh, okay. So it's, it's um, but we love Sandusky. Um, my husband and I moved up here because he had finished medical residency, and we were moving up here as a temporary assignment because we were actually waiting for his Texas licensure to come um, to fruition, and we end up staying here, even though we don't like cold climate. But we love Sandusky, and we consider it our home now. I attended Miami University with the plans of being a nurse. I did graduate with a Bachelor in Science of Nursing, and I worked as a nurse for about nine years in Cincinnati, but I realized that God's calling on my life was much greater. I was to be a wife, a mother, a teacher, a therapist, a coach, and a friend. My husband and I have been immensely blessed with four children, Sam is my firstborn. He's now 15, which seems incredible. Um, Sam has three loving, caring sisters who have learned some of the greatest and most difficult lessons early in life. Ella is 14, Sarah is 10, and Viviana is 7. So three sisters always telling him what to do. <laughs> I had one brother and three girls, too. Different lineups. Yes, yes. Three girls and then a boy, so that's cool. Good. Why is the topic of including other people so important to you? I think it's important to me because I know it's important to God. When we read the Bible, as Paula was saying, we find Jesus walking with those most vulnerable in society. He not only spent time with these people, but he actually went looking for them. People who needed love, 
who needed friendship, help, healing. He even chose 12 men that no one else would even have looked a second look at. God created us all for his purpose, which was to have a relationship with him, or excuse me, with us. The first advent was all about God's plan to secure his forever relationship with us. God showed us grace by sending Jesus to be our redeemer. Through our relationship with Jesus, his plan and desire is that we would glorify him with the life he has given us. I believe that God is glorified most and delighted most when we love and value others, including people with all different abilities. In the back book of Matthew, Jesus is actually questioned. He says, they look at him and say, teacher, which commandment is the, in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving people sometimes is easy and sometimes it's really hard. But we tend to gravitate, I've noticed, we gravitate towards relationships which when we are the benefactor, including others when our motive is selflessness, not self-serving, is really the test of our genuine love for God. We, I pray and I teach my children, we must pray asking God's power to help us love him with all of our heart, all of our mind and strength. And when this is our heart's desire, a love for all people will flow from our love for God. Loving your neighbor as yourself is, the, is only possible when you've asked God and he gives you the power to do so. As a mother to four differently abled children, we often discuss what does it mean? What does it look like to love your neighbor? We're reminded in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, God tells us what it, what it means. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but more importantly to the interest of others. If we want our lives to reflect Christ, including others, making others a priority will be important to us. It's often easy and natural to do when the relationship is getting us what we want. But what about when it's not comfortable? What about when it's not satisfying our personal agenda? This is what I think Christ meant when he commanded us to love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. Angela, you have um, an amazing boy. Sam is your firstborn son, and he has special needs. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And maybe what God has taught you about having a child with special needs. I think what God has taught me in my unexpected journey is what he probably wants to teach all of us in the grief that you might be dealing with, in the, the desert or the unexpected journey that you might be in. I think of the song, Oh, How I Need Jesus. I have intimately learned that Jesus is more than enough. One of the verses through my pregnancy, through all the expected, through the, him growing up, through being a mom to four other, three other kids, I found that the verse that resonates all the time in my heart is, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight and I've had to really work, look at that word again. I delight in my weaknesses, in my hardships, in my difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Believing that God's thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are his ways my ways. The book of Isaiah tells us, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts your thoughts. 
God has taught me that I have to keep my eyes on him. This is the only way I have learned to experience the joy in the middle of my pain, and I know the only way that you can also. In the middle of our pain, we can see God's goodness in all of it. As we study the Bible, we read that Jesus knew pain. He knew rejection. He was rejected. He never fit in. He left the glories of heaven because he, he desired the joy of fellowship with us. It was greater to have a relationship with us than to even um, worry about the pain of the cross. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, he tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. To experience this joy and peace, I've learned also to keep an eternal perspective. Our emotions, as we all are women, they fluctuate, and we have to realize that our mortal understanding doesn't, doesn't see the overall big picture of the eternal God that we serve. The Bible tells us this life is a vapor. We are made for eternity. You are made for eternity. And on the difficult days, I have to sit there and think, Samuel is made for eternity. When I see him struggle with learning, with friendships, feeling alone, he'll say to me, Mom, I don't talk right. Mom, why don't they like me? He's very keen. He has an emotional radar that God, I think, has given him as a gift. So he can unveil your character in about five seconds. Um, he just, he knows whether you believe in him or you don't. And he sees the good in all people. He's a sinner like everyone. I tell everybody, treat him Make sure you keep the um, boundaries high, keep the expectations high. But he really doesn't, ha has a different lens. He sees the good in all people, and he's taught me how to do that. When I see um, someone ignoring or someone not being patient, I, I keep my perspective, and I think in God's kingdom, he'll never experience the struggle to find a place to belong, and neither will we. Life isn't easy, but God has promised us in 2 Peter 1, 3, that everything we need, he's given us through Jesus. The verse says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Another few verses that help us at home as my children are going to school and if they're struggling to belong, and something that will help you that helps me is to remember that God says, if God is for you, who can be against you? And nothing Nothing can separate us from the love of God. These promises in God's holy, infallible word are the source of joy and strength for our lives. Remember that God's word is sharper than two, a two-edged sword, and these are the things that we have to all do to fight the battles of life. That's so good. So good. Um, how have you and your family, or Sam, as a child with Down syndrome, how have you guys experienced exclusion? Well, I think everybody in this room has experienced exclusion. We've mm -hmm. all suffered sadness. We've either um, been chosen last. When I was growing up, I seemed like I was always chosen last. Um, we've ex been excluded completely or sitting alone, feeling like we don't belong, and it's painful. But this is often the everyday situation for people with special needs. Most people are aware, but they're not really fully accepting. People are friendly to Sam but he's not really invited to parties. He's not invited to group get-togethers. When there's a group game, he loves football, he loves basketball. He's usually left watching rather than being invited to join. Mm -hmm. Homecoming this year, he's ninth grade. It was a social struggle for him. I think because we live in a me, fast-paced culture, if including people with 
different abilities is inconvenient, requires an adjustment to our plan, requires stepping outside of our comfort zone, unfortunately, exclusion occurs. What I want the community to know is that people with disabilities are more alike than different. Same as a person with similar interests and emotions, just like every other human being, because we're all made in our creator's image. God made us and we're all alike. He has a list of hobbies and interests, just like all the other teenage boys. He loves music, he loves playing music, he loves video games, he loves shooting basketball, he loves having fun. Friendships are limited with people with disabilities. I recent read, recently read a study that kind of uh, made me pause. It said the average person without a disability has around 150 relationships. This is not just your inner circle, close relationships. It's people who will help you out in some capacity. If you needed help, a job reference, letting you know there's a sale, helping you out of a bind, speaking on your behalf. But people with disabilities have on average about 24 relationships. If you're doubting it like I originally did, it said based on the research, likely you do within the cap capacity of the concentric circles of your relatability and connection with, with people. This means that, that people with disabilities have on average of less than one-fifth of all the relationships compared to people without disabilities. Mm -hmm. All the benefits of relationships in our lives are less active in people with disabilities. That's why it's worth it for us to look at how can we include people with all abilities. We all have a love language. Sam's love language is feeling connected in relationships. When he feels included and he has a sense of belonging, he thrives, he's overjoyed. But don't we all? So good. What are some ways that people even here in this room can include those with special needs? The one thing that um, I want you to know is you'll never see a bigger challenge than a person with a disability trying to do the same thing we all take for granted. Since Sam was born, he has diligently had to learn everything. Nothing is innately learned. It all has to be intentionally taught, both at home and weekly therapies. Samuel is a determined person who has built a strong character through the challenges of his life, and he's taught his sisters and his parents how to become that person. He fights every day to strive to be like his peers and to be accepted by his peers. What I want you to know is you don't need a degree in special education. You don't even need a lot of experience of interacting with people with special needs. You just need to treat them the same as you would any other person. Every human, I'm sure you agree, deserves respect and dignity regardless of their ability. Don't underestimate a person's ability regardless of their diagnosis. And don't um, dismiss their desire to be included. Don't talk differently to people with disabilities. This past couple weeks, Sam's on a swim team at Perkins and he does his best and he does well for his disability. And some lady came up and she meant well, but she said, he's 15, she said, good boy. He looked at me with eyes, I looked at him like, just say thank you. But he was, he was embarrassed, mm -hmm. he was embarrassed. So our words matter, I know her intentions were good, but she was, condescending, mm -hmm. so our words matter. And not only is he listening, the people around are listening. And we're, the way that we act, what we say, we're role modeling for the kids, the teens, other adults of how we treat each mm -hmm. other. So our words matter. The one thing that um, I've learned is we, wanna, we all wanna be a person first. We don't wanna be, we don't wanna 
be viewed by our disability, whether it's visible or invisible. So when you're talking about a person, use people first language. It's not a disabled person, it's a person with a disability. Mm -hmm. It's not a autistic person, it's a person with autism. It really does matter. Our words can either help us or they can hinder us. Mm -hmm. And always remember the golden rule. We live this out by considering a person with a disability one of us rather than one of them. We should all realize that someone with a disability doesn't want their disability to be an excuse for them to be less included, but rather let's see them as a competent and able person who with the support, with extra instruction and modifications can also be involved. I've repeatedly over the years heard Samuel's teachers tell me, what you suggested for Sam is great for my entire classroom. This is because we're more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. A few examples that I've also put down here, very tangible examples in everyday life, can be generalized to all people. People that are shy, people that, you know, want to isolate, people who aren't confident. And, and these are very, some of these are very basic. And I teach my children this. Say hello and say someone's name. Mm -hmm. You would be surprised at how many people don't address him they just see he's there, but they don't say, hi, Sam, good to see you. And it means a lot to everyone to, to be heard, to be seen. I'm glad you're here. Make eye contact with someone. Talk to them directly. Don't talk around them. And, and one thing that happens to him a lot, he'll come home and he doesn't have something. I'm like, well, he's like, well, they were passing out papers, but they didn't give me one. Pass a paper out to everybody, no matter if you think they're going to come or not, or that they want it or not. Um, strike up a conversation with someone. One thing, though, to remember with someone that has a disability is remember their processing time is slower. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, Samuel, I'm, I'm around and somebody's asking him questions and he's about to answer, and then they interject another question, and he has to go back to kind of zero on the processing scale to remember what they just asked, and now they asked another question. He was about to say something, and he's processing the next question. Then they start interjecting uh, multiple choice answers, and then he's just... Then he's just almost paralyzed and it culminates into frustration. So remember, people with disabilities take longer to process what they receive. So just wait. Have a response team. It teaches us all patience. Mm -hmm. um, and show grace. In a social setting, ask, ask people to sit with you. Look for people that are by themselves. Often he's by himself. In a, I'll, I went into a swim meet the other day and he's sitting on a bench by himself. Look for people that need someone to sit by. And walk slower. People with disabilities tend to walk a little bit slower. Walk slower. It's, it's a simple way to make someone feel included. At church or school, find a role where they can fill to know that they're valued. Samuel loves jobs. He loves to feel part of the team. Create a meaningful job. Find out what those, that person is interested in. Create a meaningful job or even modify an existing role that not only demonstrates how you value that person, but shows other that this person is more like than different, different, and it dissolves our differences. Maybe the role typically is for one person, but now we can divide it into two. Last year at student council, he really wanted to be, he always wants to be involved in things. And I went to the student council leaders and I said, how can we get involved? Let's see which one, one of these positions he could do well in. And we realized embedded in the treasurer job was a, was a person that needed to take pictures. So we created a historian role where he was the photographer to help with the yearbook. So splitting that up gave him a place and a connection. Or mentor a person to a specific role. Maybe they need a mentor for longer and then fade back. 
Call or text them. A lot of times, Samuel gets left out of a, at a communication stream. Make sure that person is involved in the communication. In a game, be proactive and be prepared. Think ahead and give them preferential placement within a group. Look at the group members. Look and see who would be a good partner. Talk to those people and share the person's strengths and where they might need help. Do it before the event so that it doesn't bring negative attention or um, make that person feel awkward. More communication and dialogue is imperative. Talk to the parents, talk to the, to, to the teenager. At this point, you can talk to me and Sam before it takes place. I always go before and ask for a sequence of events so I can prepare Sam. He takes everything, whether they give it to me or I type it up and he visually reads it. He takes a mental walk through the schedule, through the instructions, through the objectives and expectations, and this gives him an unpressured time to mentally process prior to the event. This is hugely helpful for him. Having understood all the moving pieces before he arrives makes him successful and makes him more confident. So I think teaching, too, when you have a group of people, especially younger people, teamwork, loving one another by including means maybe you won't win, but that's okay because our reward is from God, the real judge, the real giver of all good things. The other thing that comes to mind is identifying gatekeepers. Something that I've learned over the last year is someone in your group that has a lot of social capital, maybe at school, who's cool, who's connected. Recruit that person to help the person with a disability to feel like he or she belongs in the community. That helps bridge, bridge them to other people. And bridges build connections which build relationships. And we want to invest in people because people are forever and they're our greatest investment. The last thing is actively find similarities to help, to help you connect with that person, whether it's just loving pizza, a movie, a certain game, a certain sport you both enjoy, a certain music genre. When we spend time together, because relationships don't happen in the abstract, you have to spend time together. But when we do that, our differences dissolve and we realize we are more alike. Teach your children, teach your family members how to see others as God sees them, rather than an irritation and inconvenience. The last thing I want to share about that is, have you heard this song, Can You Relate? I just heard this the other day, and I was like, wow. It says, I don't know what it's like to be you, and you don't know what it's like to be me. What if we're all the same in, this, in different kinds of ways? Can you relate? We both know what it's like to feel pain, and we both know, like, know what it's like to be hurt. I don't know what it's like to be you, and you don't know what it's like to be me. But by the grace of God, we will see each other's heart. Can you relate? That's good. That's good. Is there anything else you want to share with us? The last thing, if a person with a disability has a certain behavior that has made you uncomfortable, tell them or their parent. It is vital to teach a person with a disability the socially appropriate behavior. If we withhold the information as a means to protect that person or not make, the, make ourselves uncomfortable, we will further exclude and isolate them. It's important to give them a replacement behavior that will replace the undesired or inappropriate behavior with a socially appropriate behavior. A behavior will not stop until another behavior replaces it. And this is true for all people. People with disabilities can learn social, comfortable behavior, but often they need intentional teaching. Always remember, they are not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. They just want to engage and have a relationship with you. We all have our own individual, invis, invisible disability. I mm. challenge you to ask God to open your eyes to who he wants you to actively include in your life. Ask God to see 
the people in your community through his eyes. What if we saw people the way God sees them? We can do this by the power of his Holy Spirit. Be intentional. Ask yourself, what is the reason that I'm not including someone? Is it because I'm uninformed? So ask questions. Is it because it's inconvenient? Or is it a pride issue? Have a desire to imitate Christ in your life and pray for God to transform your heart and mind. I often ask God every day to give me the mind of Christ. We are made in his image and therefore we all have to remember that we have the same desires, hopes for life. I pray that we can live life together and remember our unexpected journeys place us in unexpected places that lead us to meet unexpected people. God works in all these details to bring about his purpose and plan for our life. That's so good. We're going to bring the worship team back up here, but um, Angela, you shared something with me um, when we met a few weeks ago just about awareness versus acceptance. Yes. And um, there's going to be a sheet of paper at the resource table at the end of the night. If you want to grab that, it's so enlightening to how um, awareness is different than actually accepting someone with disabilities or special needs. So be on the lookout for that. And thank you. If we could give Angela a round of applause. And that was so good. Thank you. And the worship team can come out and we can do some singing. Oh, 
Thank you so much, worship team. That was amazing. We appreciate you so much. Okay. Well, I think I pulled the long straw. Paula had the short one. She's talking about Mephibosheth, and I'm going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> um, I want to just tell a little bit of a story from Matthew 9, 13 and, or 9 through 13, and so I'm going to just uh, read it from the Bible. And it talks about, um, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I, am not, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is a wonderful story to follow up with um, what we've been talking about tonight. Because Jesus is our example. Jesus went after the lowly. He went after, he approached the man with the leprosy. He went after the woman at the well. The, the darkness of the sinners was on his radar all the time, but he never went to condemn. He went to bring them in. He went to pull them close. His own disciples, right? 
they were not the famous men that of the day. They were, several of them were just fishermen. And that's the heart of Jesus. And he modeled that for us so that we would do that as well. And I want to bring up a guest tonight that actually reminds me a lot of that song we sang about the table. She has, um, Jessica Singerling, let's make your way up here. She is um, from our Port Clinton campus, and she has done a remarkable thing with women. She has um, created a ministry uh, of a lot like Jesus. Um, for the women that um, she brings to her table. And just maybe you just want to introduce yourself a little bit, just tell a little bit about your family. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's really, it's really an honor to be sitting up with you, Mary. And, um, you know, I love seeing all these women out here. I, in, you know, at the beginning of COVID, um, one, of my, one of my really good friends and I were, were talking, and we just felt like this... Um, you know, we started talking about women, women's ministry more, and we just felt this, uh, we felt like there were so many hurting people, out, hurting women out there who just were not, um, were not really uh, reaching out, that were, were fighting alone. And so it just, so like opening up the doors to women just to be with each other is, is such a, is such a gift, and it's a gift to all of us. And yeah. I cherish this time, and um, I just, I, I love it so much. But anyway, the, the introduction, I'm, I'm Jessica Singerling. I'm, um, I belong to the Port Clinton campus. And my husband and I moved to, uh, to Port Clinton almost three years ago. And we, um, and we moved here from, I grew up in, I grew up in Cleveland coming up to uh, the Port Clinton area for my, most of my childhood. And so my mom was there. We were going to stay in Port Clinton. Um, we moved from Washington, D.C. Um, and we just got tired of the rigmarole. So we, we basically p picked up and moved and decided we wanted to head to the Midwest. So my mom lived in there in Port Clinton and we, um, we camped out there for a little bit and decided that, um, you know, we decided that this is where we're going to be. But the one big thing was that made that really solidified from the beginning. We moved, we moved on February the the last day of February, and I think it was March second. Um, I grew up a Presbyterian. My husband, um, my husband has. He went to went to my church, went to his grandma's church, but never got to explore his own faith. So when we moved, I, you know, we talked about it, and I got, you know, he we, he chose a couple churches, but this was the first, uh, the chapel was the first church that we walked into, and immediately, immediately, like we must have looked like we're coming from D.C. We're like, you know, we're we're dazed, and we just felt. Pastor Ryan and Pastor Todd immediately welcomed us. Um, we felt like family. The next day, we get a call from Pastor Ryan. He invites us over to his house. That was a huge step for us. I don't know if those, and I know it, this was all God's plan, but um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that wouldn't have happened. You know what? You know where? Because we were looking to move to Columbus, to Michigan, to Indianapolis. So it was really. Um, it was really the the love that we felt when we walked in these doors mm -hmm. that uh, that really that 
really um, started started, started that. Yeah. And so um, and so we're we're settled here. We're not going anywhere. My husband he talks to his friends. He's like they're like, do you think you'll stay in Port Clinton? And he's like, I cannot take Jessica out of here. So um, <laughs> so that and we're just both we're both super happy. And I um, I don't have any children. I have a uh, seven year old Labradoodle. And I'll be happy to talk to her <laughs> about her, oh, yeah. but um, but yeah. So that's yeah. so that's my family and yeah. my background in a nutshell. And so Jessica and I sat down and talked for at quite length, you know, about um, this topic that we're talking about tonight. And she um, has been in studies before, but she decided to do something that's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And she really um, took a lot of things like myself that maybe weren't the best part of my past that I would love to repeat and bring them into an understanding and a knowing and a loving and God recycling those things in our life, right? And have giving us an understanding for women um, that is unique to their lives, uh, where they are in their life at this moment. And she has kind of made a ministry out of inviting the ones that maybe not would be invited right and and particularly single moms um yeah she opened up her home and she says to the single moms to the to the ones that are just falling in the door um bring your kids like mm -hmm. come on let's have a meal let's talk about the bible Tell us a little bit about that. That's so unique. Yeah. Well, again, during COVID, our, our young, our women's young adult invited me to um, their online Bible study, and then once things started opening up, I, I, um, I decided, well, I'll let the young adults. They were just being nice, inviting the old lady in. So, um, but then they're like, then each of them, I had conversations, and they're like, no, we really miss you. So I decided, like, I was going. I wanted to. I. I invited them over every Wednesday night and made and made them dinner, and um, and so every Wednesday night they'd come over and then our our um, there was kind there was a transition in there and um, really moving back they wanted to move back to Portland I'm on Catawba and I decided to keep going with my with um, with this Bible study on on Wednesday and I think that it's really important it was really important for um, for me to to uh, open open my doors to let people know that no matter what, like I don't want, I can't imagine. I'm not a mom, but I cannot imagine raising children. Number one, raising kids alone, um, and then and a lot of you moms. I mean, if you if you have a job, like that excludes you from a lot of a lot of Bible studies. I didn't want anybody to be excluded. I really wanted to um, make sure that everybody had a had a seat at the table and um, in and where we could so basically at six o'clock we eat dinner and then then from seven to seven to eight there's no homework or anything we just dive into the word and we and we focus on a book and just and just read and pray together and laugh and cry and um, and and all of that and it's and it's been a, it's it's been really a, you know, I don't know where it's going. I don't know where, yeah. like, for anything, like, I don't know where God's taking it, but it, it's, it feels good right now, and, mm -hmm. and um, I, I absolutely, I absolutely love doing it, and. Yeah, in knowing you the short time that I have, it mm -hmm. exudes from you that this love for people, that yeah. these women, uh, how 
your love for Jesus has just been just really cool to, you know, be a bystander and watch and see what you've done with what right. God has given to you. And, I mean, I was always, I, you know, from growing, from talking about being a, feeling like an outsider, like I didn't have a seat at the table, like yeah. my whole life, since I was a child, I always felt like an outsider. I felt like I was never included in that I was never part of any group. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me my whole, that my whole adulthood too. And it wasn't until um, I, uh, you know, I fully surrendered to Jesus and um, started and, and really started to, um, to, to really look deep inside myself that I, that, you know, that, that, that I started to open up more and it was, yeah. and it was really, but it, it takes a lot to be vulnerable. It takes a lot to, um, because, you know, I was, I was hurt. I was broken. I, and I, I needed that space. I needed that place to, to be able to heal. And, um, and so that was really, that was really important for me. And I think as a woman, I don't think there's anything worse, right, than feeling excluded. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's so hurtful, so deep inside of us, and it doesn't go away. Rejection is really, really hard. Um, what are some ways that we can include others? What, what, you know, because you're doing really well at it. Yeah. And so how, just give us a couple tips. Well, I think, it's just, I mean, showing up, number one. I mean, just showing up at events, showing up at, at, um, at anything, I think, is, is really huge. And, you know, well, the one thing, I, um, I am in recovery, and I, uh, I attend a lot of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, meetings. And one thing that I have noticed, and I have learned so much just sitting in those rooms, is that there, you know, if somebody is sitting by themselves, especially a woman, if I go in there and they're sitting by themselves and I sit at their table with them and they're kind of like, you know, give the fake, like, smile, I used to take that as, what, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my hair? Oh, she doesn't like me. What's, you know, not wearing the right, that's how I live my entire life. But you know what? 99% of the time, it's not about me. It's about they don't feel good about themselves. And here I was totally, you know, my uh, again, my whole life I was thinking that the world was against me when it was really like I wasn't smiling out at the world. And that is, number one, that is only the work of, of Jesus and God that, that turned that my vision around like that. And um, I, I can't explain anything else because I was a very different person five years ago. Yeah. Um, very, just very, um, very uh, turned inward, turned inward yeah. and didn't, didn't really know. And until you like, you, you know, you walk down the street and you look at people and you smile at them yeah. and you, and you introduce yourself to them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's huge, and the more I do that, the more I want to do that. Yeah. And um, it it is real, and and then you just start talking, and you don't guess what? I like when I'm hurting, I don't need somebody with all the answers. I just need somebody to sit there with me. Mm -hmm. I just need somebody to sit there with me and cry with me and hold my hand. Um, get me, you know, get me a glass of water. That's yeah. it. And I think that's the most important thing is just showing up for each other. Yeah. And even when you don't, even when you don't want to, even, you know, especially when you, especially don't, want when you don't want to. Yeah. And even, you know, when, when you see people isolating, that's a really, that's a really scary place for people to be. And so try to break that, that, yeah. that, um, that cycle of, of uh, isolation is, yeah 
is huge. And I invite, and, and believe me, I invite a lot of people to my, to my, um, to my home. And you know what? Sometimes I've had, I've had 15 women, seven kids, and then sometimes I have, there, there's been one time where one person showed up. And it's different all the time, but it's and you're faithful. always. You're faithful to that. Absolutely. It's one or oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, awesome. I don't like, and it doesn't, because God puts, exa- I've seen it happen enough times in this group. God puts exactly who's supposed to be at that table where, when yeah. it's supposed to be there. We have amazing conversations no matter what, and it's, and it can get crazy, and it can be quiet, and um, I just, it's, it's just so, like, nobody's not showed up in the two years, but it gets, <laughs> like, a couple weeks ago, I was like, hmm, it's 6.15, nobody's there, so I just sat down, and so I have my Bible in front of me, and I'm like, I'm just gonna sit, and I'm gonna eat dinner, and yeah. read my Bible, like, yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's who, you know, who needs, who needs Jesus? Who needs to talk about Jesus that night? My door is open. Yeah. I could sit here and talk to Jessica for the next half hour, but unfortunately we can't do that. But, um, I, what I, you know, to sum up what you're saying, I feel, you know, it's like you do everything like it depends on you and then you do everything like it depends on God. And you are such a wonderful example of that. And your courage to get up here tonight, and Angela as well. I, was, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming tonight and just being so authentic and just teaching us so many valuable things that I learned so much from you. So thank you so much for that. And for you, Jessica. So if you're from Port Clinton and you're not connected, she's your girl, okay? <laughs> so we want to just end tonight. Um, we have this, you will get these when you go out the door. It is cocoa. This is so clever and cool. It's connect over cocoa. And so women, sometimes it's not easy for us to, you know, say, um, hi, my name's Mary, and I notice you from afar, and I would love to get together with you sometime. Um, this is going to just make it super simple. This is cocoa. You just put your name and your phone number on the back and find the courage, just like these ladies have, and hand it to someone another woman that you have noticed, right, that you've noticed, and you just be like, hey, you know what, I'd just kind of like to sit down and have, you know, some coffee or cocoa with you sometime, and just give it to her, okay? (laughs) That's the challenge. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for the vulnerability and authenticity of Angela and Jessica. They've been such a blessing tonight, and Lord, we thank you for um, who you are, the example that you have set for us in your word um, that we should model and, and just bring people to our table that we might show them you, which is um, our, our desire. We want to be more like you, and that's definitely a wonderful place to start at our tables. So we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, and we give you the glory for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.